All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. They're coming to get you, Barbara. I ate his liver with some fava beans and a nice Chianti. Here's Johnny. Vanity. Definitely my favorite set. I am the devil, and I am here to do the devil's work. The power of Christ compels you! This is my boomstick! What's your favorite scary movie? Good evening, and welcome to Shiver, a horror movie podcast. We are your hosts. I'm Daniel Devana. And I'm David Uyoa, and we're here to talk about a Valentine's classic. It's it's I mean, as soon as as soon as we got into the habit of doing themes thematic or doing things thematically, I mean this this was like the first one we thought of, right? It's like when we get to February, we gotta do my bloody Valentine. Yeah, and and this is um this is actually one uh, not to give away too much, uh, but this is one of my favorite slashers. Okay, and, and so <laughs> Uh, <laughs> when, when we started thinking about this, I was like, oh, fuck, we're going to do this, aren't we? And yeah. so I'm, I'm, I'm really excited, um, for, for two reasons. One, I finally get to talk about this movie on the podcast and two, I get to talk about it with you because you hadn't seen it before last night. This was my first viewing. Um, I had seen my bloody Valentine 3d with Jansen Ackles. Um, uh-huh. and, uh, cause it was like, you know, during the 3d movie craze, like, fuck yeah, horror movie. I gotta see this one. Right. And so, uh, so I went and saw it with, with no background as to the movie. And then it was one of those things where I had interest in seeing it. And then, you know, we go back to the blockbuster thing all the time, right? Like you get an idea, but if you're not sitting there to look for it at that moment, you, it's not like you're just going to run. It's not like Netflix is going to be like, Hey, did you want to watch my bloody Valentine? Cause it's not there. You know, like nobody's right. <laughs> actively streaming this. So it's just, it's just something that just kept slipping through the cracks. I just never remembered to watch it at a time when I was, you know, ready to do so. But here we are now. I have now seen my bloody Valentine. And, and that, that makes me so happy. It makes me really, really happy. Uh, because there are few things that I enjoy more than sharing the things that I love with the people that I love. So, um, uh, and, and, and that is what this season of, of love is all about. Right. So, um, when it comes to my bloody Valentine, right. There's, uh, there's something really important to consider here, which is the year that it was released. And this is something that we've mentioned before, right? It was released in 1981, which may seem like a, uh, a a somewhat, um, you know, innocuous year. However, this is what is often referred to in the, uh, in, in the horror uh, aficionado circles as the year of the slasher. Yeah. Right. Uh, There is no lack of, horror slashers released this year you have halloween 2 you have um friday the 13th part 2 you have uh, another one of my absolute fra- favorites the prowler was released this year um, you know I, I always forget that the prowler was 81 like I, even though it's one of those things like you ever think back on a movie and unless it's like recent and you think of it as a period piece like you tend to just put it in like the year that it, you know like the movie was like set so when right. I, like when i think back on the problem i'm like oh god that was 81 but it's like in my head i'm like that was made in the 60s right <laughs> <laughs> yeah well i mean it, it, there's so much of it that does 
take place in that time and it's 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 so important to the 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 story right uh, right but it's it's like there's there's so many of these right i'm i'm looking it up now the burning is another absolute classic um i think maniac may have been uh released uh, in in 1981 as well and so um, like, i'm not seeing maniac on this list that i'm on maniac right now, may but, have but been the one i'm looking at specifically slashers i mean maniac is a slasher but yeah i mean the, you're right this is yeah. like i've got a list pulled Bl- up here bloody birthday deadly blessing uh student bodies oh my god student, student bodies, bodies is great not in 81 yeah. eyes <laughs> of the stranger the fan the fan, what a great psychological thriller slasher. The Fun House, Toby Hooper's other classic. Yes. Right? Oh, Hell Night, which we've done Day. on this show. Hell Night, yeah. Happy birthday to me. The uh, uh, oh yeah, Chef's Kiss. What what a yes. what a great twist ending. Um, it, it's, it's somewhat long. It's often called the the long slasher. Right. Um. So I mean, there are. It, there's no lack of slashers released in 1981. This is the height of the slasher, right? Uh, so this is an interesting time to be coming out with with a slasher, particularly because it's using some of those established tropes that we've gotten since your, you know, the the Halloweens and and the um, Black Christmas, right? A couple years before Halloween, right? So it's using some of those tropes. However, it's also establishing tropes. And it's really easy to get lost in the, oh, okay, well, this is just what happens in a slasher. We got to see this through the eyes of someone who was watching this movie in 1981, right? So there's there's a couple of things as we get into this that, that I want to ask. First is, what does My Bloody Valentine represent for the genre, right? But also, how does it hold up? Like as as a movie today, if you were to walk into a movie theater and watch this today, how does it hold up? So, uh, so that's essentially the experience I got with this being my first time um, here, and you know, thirty years later, um, you know, a, a couple of things that that are definite standouts. Um, you've got you don't got a group of high schoolers just looking to have a fun night on the town. You know, mm-hmm. um, you granted you it does end up boiling down to a group of young adults <laughs> looking <laughs> to have a fun night, but but they did age them up a little bit. You know, they've got full time jobs. I mean, they're they're blue collar working men. I mean, they're they're yeah. literally down in the mines. Like that's yeah. that's the whole thing. Real um, people and, with real problems. Exactly, and so it it's I I liked that aspect of it. Right, so often when you get these ones where they're where they're teenagers, it's like they're it's always like the popular kids except for like that one or two people or or like the rich kids and that's how they've got these big houses and they're throwing these parties and stuff like this it was it was cool to see it set up it's just like uh yeah they party but it's because they work their 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 lives are shit like they live in this tiny town like they they work in mines all day so of course all they do is like talk about sex and drink because they're yeah. that's that's what they do there's nothing the there is o- the nothing only else. thing they had look to look forward to was this yeah. one dance and it's canceled and it's like eh, well let's have a let's have a yeah. party instead and so um you know it i it was it's interesting because as as we get into it there there are there are certain things that i that i liked a lot there were a couple of letdowns for me um mm-hmm. not many not many but the, there were there were a couple of things where i was like ah almost missed it by that much type thing <laughs> um but you know honestly as it holds up it's 
it does kind of keep you right on the edge of trying to figure out who the killer is. Like there's a turning mm-hmm. point where I was, you know, I was established. I was a solid, like 98% sure um, of who the killer was um, at a certain point in the movie, but it does keep you on your toes with it. Uh, you know, we talked, uh, we talked in scream of that twist of seeing um, Skeet Ulrich get killed. And then, you know, then finding out later that, that he is the killer. There's, you watch this and you go, okay, that's, that was just an evolution of this, right? That was taking the idea of killing off a character and then having him come back. This movie's 30 years old, you know, so throw it all and throw it all out there. Mm -hmm. But that, that idea of, of killing off a character just to be like, aha, I'm still here and I'm the killer, you know, like that type of stuff to see the seeds of it. I always do try whenever we do one of these older movies, I, I I try to take the the 2021 part of my brain and set it to the side. And I, I do try to think about it like if I were younger and this were the this were the newest thing, which can be very difficult to do. These movies, through no fault of their own, you know, age themselves for God's sakes. Hollis's right. mustache. Well, and while that shit is back right now, you want to talk about what'll what would hold up today? Hollis's mustache right now, that dude would be a banger at the bars. People, oh, yeah. women would flock to that dude's mustache right now. Like that's a that's big right now. So it's weird to <laughs> go back and see these old ones and see that stuff coming back around. But it's it did a lot of things that were that were cool. There were some there were some really great there were some great scares. Nothing that you know really made me scream or jump out of my seat. Mm-hmm. But there there were some good scares. It was innovative without being over the top. There was a lot to really like about this movie. I was, I will admit, I was pleasantly surprised. Like uh, when you when you look at that list of stuff that comes out in '81, and yeah, you know, I, you know, we love this stuff. I knew I was gonna like it just because of when it came out, but I was pleasantly surprised at how good of a movie I actually ended up thinking it was. Yeah, and I I find that that's true with those movies that you always hear, like you know, oh this uh, this was one of those like trendsetter movies, or this was a right. game changer movie, and um, although that term is often applied to Halloween and Friday the Thirteenth, um, this is one of those that people often you know put up there on those like you know hey yeah you know as far as the slasher goes this is one of those that you need to watch you know whenever someone says you need to watch this i i I always take that with a grain of salt you know because how often does someone say hey you need to watch this and then it ends up being the godfather you know right uh or 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 just just that one time when i watched you know uh, yeah exactly (laughs) you know but how how often does it end up living yeah. up to the oh, hype? You know, I know exactly, and and I I do feel that this kind of does that, and and so I um for for that I I think that the, the movie both as a um a time capsule you know and looking at it as a product of the eighties and something that is both um, using established tropes to sell a product that they know is going to sell at the time. Right. Uh, similar to how, uh, you, you watch, um, you know, the, the teen comedies of the, of the late nineties uh, or the early two thousands. And you know, you're going to get something like American pie because right. they knew American pie was going to sell. Yeah. Because, yeah American pie. I mean, American pie was the formula then. Ex- exactly. Right. So, um, but at the same time, it's also one of those that's, uh, 
that's bucking trends and creating trends as it goes. And so in 82, in 83, in 84, as these movies continue to come out, they, they take this, what, you know, what, what uh, George Mahalka did in this movie and, um, and use that to great effect. And one of the things I've really enjoyed doing when it comes to really all the movies we do, but especially the older ones, I love going back and just typing in the the movie the, the movie title and doing a Google image search. And one running across fan art is just always dope. I, I mean, I just I do I love fan art. But man, like when you go back and you look at the actual like uh, marketing promotion for this movie. It was so geniusly simplistic. I mean, if you're watching mm -hmm. live right now, you can see on our background here. I mean, that's basically all it was. It was always just this dude in a gas mask and the title. Like, I can only imagine that in 81, when you went into this movie, all you knew you were in for was a slasher. And there was a guy mm -hmm. in a gas mask. Like, you did, like, yeah. from, from going back and looking, I couldn't tell anywhere in, like, you know, short, I didn't look up trailers, but just short of like in billing blocks and stuff like that. Never talked about how, you know, it was because he was in the mines or anything like that. So it was, they, they did such a good job with this, um, with the marketing of it too. And again, so often one of the things that we look at, uh, you know, when you're looking at tropes, it, the seventies and eighties, like what is, what is going to be that defining feature that when somebody sees it, they're going to think of your killer, right? You know, Freddie's hat and clog, Jason's yeah. machete and mask, uh, Chucky's overalls. I mean, the, the gas mask is synonymous with this movie. Everything, even the fan art, it all always centers around the gas mask, which is uh, it's, it's a level of genius on par with the hockey mask for Jason. It's something that's mm -hmm. not hard to find. It's something that you're not wholly unfamiliar with, but they took it and they completely renovated what the meaning of it was. I loved that. And uh, they, they used it to incredible effect, uh, not, not to, you know, kind of go in a direction that we're already going to go in later, but they used that uh, the, the gas mask and the miners outfit um, uh, in a way where it made sense where you could suspect anyone right. to be this killer. Uh, but also it created a really iconic look like you were talking about Michael's mask or, or, or Jason's mask or Freddie's hat and claws. Um, you know, it, it created something iconic, something that now years later has achieved cult status where, uh, when, anything with the minor on it is released it sells out almost immediately right. uh I, I i was it last year or two years ago um scream factory uh collaborates with uh with neca the toy company uh and they were releasing the uh like the new director's cut of my bloody valentine and uh they released it along with the action figure of the minor and it right. sold out almost immediately uh in, in, in fact i wasn't able to get it i had to wait for neca to re-release it themselves without the 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 blu-ray it was just the figure for me to be able to get it and i i just barely got in on it you know so um it's it's one of these things that has become i mean i, I it's definitely a cult film but it's right on that edge where i think most people are aware of it. You know, it, yeah. is it is it like Rocky Horror where um, it is the 
ultimate cult film where it has kind of transcended cult and now is somewhat mainstream, right? I mean, it got a remake, you know? Yes. Uh, how often does, does a movie receive a remake? There has to be some sort of bankability there. A studio has to believe that there's, uh, that there's some money to be made there. Well, and I mean, it's uh, a name that's kind of, you know, that's, that's moved on beyond past that. Like, I don't know for a fact that they named themselves after the movie, but I mean, there's an, there's a, a like an Irish uh, British band named my bloody Valentine. Like yep. uh, just, just that, that, that phrase, you know, uh, ended up transcending the movies themselves. So, you know, we, we've talked about things that kind of set it apart and I, 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 talk for a second about the fact that what we get here is a group of not teenagers what we have are they're they're out of school doesn't seem like they're that far out of school but we've got some blue collar working guys and they're the ones being you know being traumatized by everything that's going on um in this movie so as you look at them being aged up from your typical slasher does that help or hurt the movie uh, when you're look when you when you look at that from an aspect of how the characters develop and the movie plays out, I I think it helps this story. I don't know that if you did that with say um, you know a Nightmare on Elm Street, it would work, and I don't know that if you did that with something like Halloween, it would work. Uh, but I think because of this movie and its story, it works spectacularly. Um, because what you end up getting is is a, a story that I think is much more relatable uh, because most people that are going to see these movies are going to be not high school age, but out of high school. Right? right. Because, I mean, technically, you're not even allowed into the theater to see these movies until you're at least 17. Right. Uh, not that people don't sneak in, you know, because I, I was going to the movie theater and watching these movies, uh, you know, all throughout high school. Correct. So, um, so uh, I, I think that you're actually hitting your target demographic, which is that like, you know, 18 to 25. And and I, I think it does a lot here for establishing a, a sense of like believability. Right. Because if, if this is going to take place in a mining town, you could go the route like the Prowler does. Right. Uh, and and make it, you know, where it's going to be a high school dance or, you know, and, and there's not much going on in the town. And, you know, so everything is about that dance or you can go this route and make it where it's like, you know, these people do represent the town and they're average people. Right. You know, and uh, and I think it does a really good job of doing that. And the average person then can look at characters like Howard and like like Hollis and TJ and see something of themselves in these characters. And you're right. I don't think they're that far removed from high school. We get the sense that when TJ graduated, he moved away. Right. And uh, whatever it was he was trying to do out west, I assume California. Yeah, I'm right? guessing it's a, like a, a Hollywood thing. Yeah, <laughs> you know, you know and, and and you know he was he was kind of a hunky guy. You know, he's yeah. got you know the the smoldering good looks. You know, uh, didn't work out for him, and then he moved back, and uh, you know, so he he lost the girl. He lost what he had, and now he's come back with nothing. So, um, it, to me, this makes these characters like there's there's something for them uh, to to lose. Like they they have real lives beyond 
homework and the SAT. Uh, you know, it's like these this is these are adult problems now that they have. Yeah, it's it's not just about blowing off class. It, you know, it's you you've got to yeah, you could go out and drink every night, but if you miss the next day, that could cost you your livelihood. It it makes stakes outside of running away from a killer more real and mm-hmm. something far more relatable uh, to your right, that group that's out of high school. Um, I, I moved to Tuscaloosa when I was 18. And when I moved here, this is the smallest town that I'd ever lived in. And uh, Tuscaloosa, by no means a big city. It's a lot bigger than it was when I moved here 20 years ago. But it's, it's nowhere near a big city. But it's also not one of these, you know, small dots um, mm-hmm. on the map like this town was. And so, but I have had a variety of shitty jobs. So, I mean, I've, I've been working basically <laughs> uh, like when I turned 16, my parents were like, cool. Like, uh, well, we can't buy you a car. You're welcome to use ours as long as you can put gas in it. To put gas in it, you need money. You better start working. Right. <laughs> and so, I mean, I've worked plenty of shitty jobs, never to the level of manual labor of working in a mine, but I mean, I've worked at a Cold Stone Creamery and that's basically the same fucking thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so... It's, you know, like, and I, I've also worked a lot of those jobs once I was in college and you do make those decisions where it's like, I'm going to drink all night and I'm going to get up and go work my shitty job in the morning right. and hope that the two don't affect each other. Cause I need the shitty job so I can have the nights when I go out drinking. Right. And so it's, it's, it's interesting to see that aspect. Uh, and especially because when you watch those high school movies, for a reason, everybody is always playing 50% character and 50% stereotype. That's just mm-hmm. how it is. You know, shit, everything eventually becomes that. The real world eventually stopped being about six real people living together. And it just became six stereotypes that we found people that fit and we shoved them together. Um, <laughs> that I didn't get the feeling that any of these people were like a stereotypical, like that guy in town and that guy in town. Yeah, they Mm -hmm. had personalities, but it wasn't, and they were definitely different characters, but you know, they never, they never like, were like, oh, well, Axel was the high school quarterback or anything like that. You know, they they didn't fall back on that type of stuff. And that did make it far more relatable. It was, it was very interesting, but also if you're appealing to that demographic, you don't go out and make a movie with a bunch of guys in their late thirties. Yeah, you go guys fresh out of high school who are just kind of consigned to the fact that this is going to be their life. You're mm-hmm. not going to find, in my experience, a group of guys in their mid-30s playing grab ass in the shower like these dudes did in, right. you know, in the first scene. But if you're fresh out of high school, you know, you still have the memories of doing that. You know, maybe you're still working out at a rec center and occasionally throwing soap at your friends or, you know, just <laughs> guy shower stuff. Ladies, yeah. just just ask any guy. I'll tell you anybody who's ever showered for an athletic, especially in high school, it's super gay. And, and like, and that is like, like, and not in any sort of like using that word in a demeaning way. It's just like everybody's swinging their dick around, and and it's just it's really gay. And, and they, ma- making lots of bubbles as you fart. Yeah, you know, it's, <laughs> it is what it is. Yeah. But it's, um, and, you know, so they, they throw that in there and it's, you know, so it's light and it's fun. And it's like, okay, yeah, they're working men, but they're, you know, they're, they're still young enough that they know how to have a good time. And we so, do see kind of like the, um, the reciprocal of that, because we see some of the older guys that have been working in the mine for a little while longer and they're much more somber. Right. Yes. And, and, and when, um, 
when TJ and um, shit, what was his name? Axel. Um, Axel, thank you. When TJ and Axel get into it in the mine and they're about to start fighting, uh, the supervisor comes in. He's like, I'm not going to have any fighting in my mind. You know, it's yeah. that's, that's the sort of thing that you get from the guys that have been there for a little while. Right. Yeah. So, you know, they're definitely they're they're adults in age. Right. Uh, but definitely not mentally. And so I, I think that gives it this sense where they, they can go the route where they're like, you know, OK, hey, uh, you, you high school kids that are coming to see these movies, uh, e- even though, uh, you know, Tipper Gore doesn't want you to come see these movies. Right. <laughs> um, uh, Thank you, D. Snyder, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. He, just, he ran his mouth. <laughs> Yeah, man. Fucking awesome. Twisted Sisters, the greatest. So, um, you know, (laughs) you guys, there's something here for you. But also those of you who like are old enough to actually see this movie, who are working jobs to be able to pay to see these movies and not getting mommy and daddy's allowance. This is for you. Yeah. And so it's I did like. You know, because when I first turned it on with nothing to expect, I did expect high school kids. So when I immediately and then you get the shower scene and it's like, do they work in the mines in high school? But then they hit the bar and it's like, (laughs) okay, no. All right, cool. Like, let's go with this. Mm -hmm. Um, It also, you know, it well, and I I guess, uh, you know, it's good. We're going to talk about it a little bit more. But you're talking about the older guys. There's this idea of something that very that very real that happened. But so once you get so far removed from it, you know, the the next generation doesn't as much care, you know, like uh, we're we're teachers. So we run into this constantly. You know, I'm 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 berated by like middle schoolers who refer to Blink-182 as classic rock shit like that. Right. So, yeah, it happens. (laughs) It happens. And so, you know, you did end up like you were saying, getting this really great getting not only this idea of that they're not far removed, but seeing that we may be seeing the last great years of their lives because you do get to see these older guys that have been working in the mines. And I guess one of them's a bartender now or whatever. <laughs> and, and they, they just hate everything. Life is just miserable. And I have known people from, I work in a mining town where a lot of the dads of my students work in the mine, like the act, they're Brookwood strip mines. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, they, they work in these mines and, you do see, I mean, you can always tell when you, you know, like I teach little kids. So I usually get them where their dads are like, you know, if, if they're in the mines, they just started the, the soul hasn't been sucked out of them yet. And then you have some sort of, <laughs> then you awful. have some sort of, yeah. Then you have some sort of, uh, you know, like parent night where the, you know, the, Oh, the pre-K is going to perform. And then there's always just like a handful of granddads who come in just still covered in soot overalls and just no fucks left to give. Right. And so you, and so you, you got the full scope of that. So when we're talking about things that are on the line, not only their livelihood, but we are watching what are possibly the last, the last great years of their lives as stakes. And so that really adds to the drama of the whole thing. Absolutely. And and so with with that drama, right, comes the the story, right? Um, this this leans really interestingly, uh, and and I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that it's still an early slasher, right? So it it leans on the slashers that came before it. You know your uh, your Halloweens, your um, 
your Black Christmases, things like that. But it also really leans into the Giallo movies that uh, that influenced those early slashers, right? C- kind of going back to basics here, uh, because at heart this is a murder mystery. Yeah. That's really that's that's really what this is. It just it it kind of envelops the the classic murder mystery, um, you know. Sort of, at, it's it. I would even say that this isn't too far removed from a classic Agatha Christie story. I was, you know, you know what, stuff, the, the exact same vein. I was going to say it's a long episode of murder she wrote. Yeah, it kind of is. You know, this is very similar to like something like, and then there were none. You know, where just one by one these people start dying. Um, so um the minor also is 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 part of that right you know he he and we we started talking about this you know a little bit you know the the use of the minor costume right uh, uh because the killer uses it as a costume but really it's a uniform right, right. um all of this goes into this great murder mystery in the classic giallo style right so um how does the minor and the story how does all that come together and work or not work is it effective was it scary for you what what were your thoughts so as a story um if you're watching this and you're you're unfamiliar basically what we're presented with is there's a a heart that shows up in a, a candy box and we get the story of how 20 years ago um, a bunch of guys died in a mine because their supervisors uh, went off to this Valentine's dance. One survived. He went nuts. He killed those supervisors. He got committed. And so they stopped having this Valentine's dance. Well, now they're going to have one and the killer's showing back up. So there's this great passing of the guard element mm-hmm. of the story where, yeah, all of these kids, they, they make fun of the bartender for telling the story, which awesome. There are not enough bartenders that tell stories in rhyme anymore. I'm, really I'm throwing aren't. that out there. <laughs> I, I would, I would live at a bar if they had a bartender that like gave me a beer and I mean, shit, spit a limerick at me. Give me something. Absolutely. I'll, I'll, I'll take a Jay Z verse, but just, you know, <laughs> let's have some fun with it. Um, I mean, so this guy's, this guy starts off with like a great rhyme and he tells this amazing story of the, the killer and what happened 20 years ago and is mocking the kids for, or not mocking the kids. He's getting onto the kids for mocking it. Mm-hmm. And so we end up with this really good story of a town's history you you know uh we we've we've referenced this um many times that you know you can run away from a lot of things but you can't run away from your past or your town's Mm -hmm. past especially what i say this absolutely lovingly i have a ton of people like i said from small dots but when you live in a shithole town i mean that's like the i mean that's that's usually what they're referred to as and they're the type of towns where you grow up you know you never leave it you're you're raised there. That's where you get your job, have your kids. You pass your job on to your kids and you die there. And so we get this great story of a town's history when you are in a town that small being as important as your personal history. More so important because your personal history is everyone's personal history. And that was the part of the story that kind of hit me the hardest was this idea that if you if you live in a town like oh the sun's getting ice what that noise is um, <laughs> if you if you live in one of these small dots your personal history is irrelevant 
because you have the same history as everyone else and you're, you're mm -hmm. not going to outrun that. So that part of the story and that element is what drives this home so amazingly. The, the actual, you know, the, the actual plot of the movie and what we're presented with is, is paced very well. We get some cool kills. We get some iconic characters, but I really think that when you boil this whole thing down, down to the end, when it is revealed, if you're still listening and you don't want us to spoil it, turn it off now. It is revealed that Axel is the killer. And we find out it's because when the original miner went on his, you know, his terror spree, his dad was one of those supervisors that he killed and he witnessed it. And I guess as a little kid, he snapped. And then just carried that with him until he was a young adult. And so that story is great. And I really enjoyed that. And so often the story of a movie can only serve, you know, they all serve different purposes. But that ended up being a good story that got us from A to B. But I really think that when you boil it all down, this is the story of what it can be like to be from one of these small dots. And I really, really enjoyed that. I I think you hit the nail on the head there, man. Um, this um, like working class, you know, average Joe story isn't told often in the horror genre. Um, you, you look at all the other horror movies that we have uh, looked at here. Right. And um, we see either, um, you know, commentary on on the downtrodden or commentary on the elite. And very rarely do we see, you know, the average person's horror. Right. Um, you know, their their homes are usually either extravagant or falling apart. And, um, you know, it, this this goes all the way back to like the universal monsters right dracula's castle frankenstein's castle right um and uh, you you go forward a little bit right and it's something like the exorcist right um ellen burston i mean she she lives in washington in yeah. this 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 beautiful townhome you know um and 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 that's that's kind of the way it goes and, until you get to like the 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 flip side right you get something like texas chainsaw massacre this house is like falling apart right um you know the they're literally eating people <laughs> to, right exactly. to stay to stay alive you know so um it, it, you never really get like the average joe uh, and and um, or rather, you so rarely get the average Joe. So when when you do, I think it's fantastic. Um, the other thing that I I really love about this, um, I, I, and I, I I mentioned it when we first started talking about this, is the very classic Agatha Christie style um, mystery thriller aspect of this um i i think that there is really a very good job done of keeping the killer um kind of ambiguous because i remember the first time i watched and i've seen this movie a couple couple times now because i i, I watch it every february for the last couple of years um Fair. I, re I remember the very first time I saw this and I was thinking it's 
probably not Harry Warden because right. they keep mentioning him so much. It can't possibly be Harry Warden, right? However, if you do the math in your head, right, if if he was a young 20-something-year-old minor at the time that this accident happened and 20 years have passed, that would put him sometime in his, uh, in his mid-40s, you know, early to mid-40s. And he's – that's still physically capable enough to – to do all these things right it, he wouldn't be like a 70 or 80 year old man trying to to to, to do these things so so it, it does make an awful lot of sense that it could possibly be him but then i mean look, look at our look at our modern i mean we were we now have a you know a series of halloween movies where it's like yeah no 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 it's the same guy from 40 years right. ago yeah, 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 yeah. It's, it's 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 still him. Yeah. Uh, you know, he's he's almost almost eighty, but uh, but because he's evil incarnate, there it is, right? Yeah. Um, and one of the things uh, I really there there were some great there were some great elements of storytelling that go back to that that small town everyday feel type thing. I loved and the, you know this doesn't even seem like it was like a production choice or anything. It's just like where that was filmed. There was a store called like OK Ladies Wear. You know, it's like <laughs> it's like I, I love yeah. I love I love a store like that. It's like, hey, you got any good dresses? Eh, all right, yeah, they're okay, yeah, yeah. And so I, I just that that made me laugh. But one of my one of my favorite moments in this that really drove home like the whole small town thing was this idea of like the girls getting so hyped and like moderately turned on by like blue collar things, right? Like, Ooh, yeah. you're going to take us down in the mines. Oh, you know, <laughs> like, 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 yeah, it's, it's just a, like a cart on a track that goes 2000 feet down. Yes, please. You know, yeah. like that, like the, when the, the, there's that couple that are, that are making out um, where they store their uniforms and mm -hmm. it, it makes her giddy that like she pulls this rope and their uniform drops down like little stuff like that is, it's so wholesome in a way, right? That you, you've you got these girls that it doesn't take much to impress them because they haven't seen much. And right. so seeing the, seeing like the, the underside of what they know their town to be, like that's a big deal to them. And so I really loved that element of it. I just, like I said, at first it was laughable to me that it was like an aphrodisiac to go down in the mine. But then I started <laughs> thinking about it. I was like, you know, I guess, you know, if your dad, and your uncles and now your boyfriend they're all working there you know it's it's, it's kind of cool to get to see it that was exactly the point that i was gonna make is um like my my grandfather uh owned a frozen food distribution company for many many years and my uncle my father my mother uh me we all worked there and i remember being a little kid and um, like during during the you know, summer break or winter break, waking up really early to go to work with with my parents and uh, like thinking, man, I get to go inside this freezer. Like, yeah. Who is that? And then there, it, I mean, it's nothing, you know, it's, it, there's just racks with pallets all up in there with with, you know, frozen produce. That's all it was. But but for for me, you know, who hadn't seen much in life, it was like, oh, man. 
this this is where the magic happens. This is where right. you go every day, you know. Um, and and then of course, as I got older, you know, when I was in high school, you know, and granted, I'm not calling myself a blue collar worker. Never have been. <laughs> all right, their their plight is not my plight. All right, I I live a, a a very cushy lifestyle. But when there was a rail car that needed to be unloaded, and um, you know, we were, you know, the 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 clock was ticking. I'd be out there unloading that rail car with uh, with the rest of the guys. And so I know what it's like to finish work and and be absolutely physically drained and be like, who's getting the beers? Yeah. You know, and, yeah. And, and, and that that adds a sense of of realism to this story, uh, along with the fact that, I mean, this this very possibly could happen this isn't a uh a freddy krueger who's you know killing you in your dreams this isn't a jason Voorhees that is supernaturally strong this is just a crazy dude with a pickaxe that's Which all is this is dope and, i mean just you know like if, if the if the entire story of this movie were created because of the idea of we want to make a slasher where the guy has a pickaxe i'm here for it like it's 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 like you know it's it, it always goes like yes Freddy Krueger's glove is impressive and it's mm -hmm. cool but man when you look at something that you can just go to the hardware store and buy and and it becomes an iconic weapon of mass murder that's so cool like I can go to Walmart and buy a machete you know I can mm -hmm. buy a pickaxe wherever like it's just like again another just a, another element of how real it is and it made sense for him to have a pickaxe. And that, to me, that's part of the reason why those those first few Friday the Thirteenth movies work so well is because all you have is is Jason kind of limping from place to place as he gets more and more fucked up, right? Because right. he does finally die at the end of the fourth one, uh, even if he comes back later, right? Um, Electricity but, does that. Uh, yeah, Frankenstein stuff. <laughs> and actually, part six is my favorite. <laughs> as, as, as I say that the first four work particularly well. Um, and, and it's really just him like breaking into people's sheds and uh, breaking into their houses and taking knives and machetes and pitchforks and shovels and, uh, you know, uh, hedge clippers and, and just going to town on people with these very average everyday items, you know, and, and, and that's really scary to me. You know, um, one of my favorite movies ever, horror, action, uh, whatever, it doesn't matter. It's it, favorite movies ever is Commando with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Oh, yeah. And there's there's this amazing scene where he goes into the gardening shed of this this gigantic house that he's storming. Right. And he looks around and I was like, oh, buddy, he's about to go <laughs> down on all these guys. And sure enough, he, he comes out of there and he's throwing fucking circular saws. He's fucking pitchforking people, chopping off arms, you know, and, and that's that's the brutality of these instruments that we use in different ways every day. You know, so so this this pickaxe, which, you know, represents the 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 heart and soul of this town, you know, Valentine Bluff lives off of this mine, you know, the Hanager mine for him to bastardize that into this thing that, you know, rips out your heart. That's a, to me, it's, 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 um, it's a really interesting symbolism, but it's also, it's, it's also a really, really great way to make this real. 
Oh my God, dude. I did not even make that connection. I love that. You're right. Like the, the tool that is the heart of the town, the reason mm-hmm. that it exists and he uses it to rip up people's hearts. God damn. I love that. Um, so it's almost like I do this for a living. Hey, <laughs> so there, there's also an element of this film and this story that is so, so perfect. And it's the fact that the killer is, you know, he leaves these little like poetic love notes. Oh, it's so good. And, and yes, if all you did was see it, they're so cheesy, right? But what is Valentine's Day? It's Hallmark packaging cheese mm-hmm. and finding a way to make us sell it and, and finding a way to make us buy it. They sell it. They just make <laughs> us buy it. And it, it, and so like if, if Michael Myers, had written a note that said roses are roses are red, violets are blue. One is one of them is dead, and so are you. You'd be like, that's fucking <laughs> stupid. I hate you, and I hate this. But for it to be attached to this box of Valentine's candy is so good. It's so good. And like this idea of like the the poetic killer. I know that they did not mm-hmm. create it for this movie, but they took it to another level for this by watering it down and making it fit what they were doing. And I loved that so much. Like by the final, you know, the act three killing spree, I found myself disappointed yeah. that he didn't have time to stop and make notes. Like every time like, it's like, <laughs> no, I wanted a hot dog pun for the guy whose face you just shoved in boiling water. I really wanted a wiener pun. Could have used it. Um, but it was, it was, it's such a simple idea executed brilliantly and it just goes to show what you can do when you just take the time to make all the pieces fit. And Absolutely. I I just adored that part of the movie. I thought that it was I I, I just I loved it so so much. I I I I couldn't ah man, that that like I said, because just at a blush, it's like, oh, that was cheesy. And then it's like, wait, this whole thing's Valentine's Day. All right, yeah. here for it. Let's go. Bring on some it- more. It works. It works within the context of the movie, and it also gives him a um, you know a, a, another bit of iconography, you yeah. know, because it, it's it's not just the the outfit, it's not just the pickaxe, it's it's the human heart inside the chocolate box, it's it's the the notes that go along with it. That NECA figure I told you about that I got that I'm really mm-hmm. excited about. It's, it's back <laughs> here behind me. Um, <laughs> Uh, it comes not just with the pickaxe, which you know you're like, oh yeah, it's got to come with the pickaxe, but it also comes with the heart in the box. Thank That's God. how iconic this thing is. You know, it's 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 part of his character. Yeah. So as as, as we as we talk about the character of the miner and just everything that we're kind of looking at, when we look at all of these elements that make such a great story. We've got to look at the idea of how the film was made. You know, we always get into this. There, there's a lot of elements here. Um, but when you, you, you know, we, we've mentioned the Prowler and happy birthday to me. And a lot of these really early things that were done with a super high level of proficiency. So when you're looking at my bloody Valentine, kind of where does it fall on that spectrum of being a good movie, not just a good slasher? So I, I, I think that when you look at a movie like Friday the 13th, which is incredibly influential, right? Uh, that's a really good slasher, but it's not a good movie. Right. Sean, Sean Cunningham 
is not a good director. Uh, he knows what he's doing. He knows what he should do, rather. Um, but that doesn't make him a particularly good director. And I think, yeah, some of that has to do with the budget. But, um, like, Paramount bought into this, you know? Like, he he did have Paramount behind him when he was making this movie. And um, there were certain things that he just, you know, he's, he's not a good filmmaker he's a great producer um you know and, and you can look at his producing credits and you're like oh shit yeah homeboy's done some real good stuff um john carpenter's a different story though you know when you look at halloween that's a really well-made movie yeah. there's a reason why halloween works so well all these years later i think this movie has that there's a quality to this movie that I would say 95% of slashers are missing, if not more than 95%. And that's technical know-how. Uh, George Mahalka went to film school and it shows. He knows what kinds of shots do what. He knows how to edit film. There's a couple of really amazing shots in this movie where it's like, oh, wow, that's really effective. When Mabel is trying to escape the uh, the 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 minor right she's running through those curtains that go to the back of her laundromat and as she runs through you see just the hand of the the minor grab her hair and pull her back in and the shot is so beautiful it's yes. framed so perfectly right um the 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 shot of I, I can't remember her name, but the girl that gets killed in the shower, she's spinning around and the oh camera is God. spinning around her as it like is, the clothes are dropping off the hooks. Oh. Yes. Oh. And it's 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 one of, I think, the most effective shots in any horror movie I've ever seen, because the disorientation that she's feeling, you're feeling and you but you're also along with her for the ride because you're seeing it on her face at the same time. So the disorientation is given to you as the viewer while you are watching her be disoriented it's it's a it's a genius little trick of the camera that he does and and it's 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 stuff like that that elevates this movie from your run-of-the-mill slasher which obviously in retrospect you look at this and it's not that different from anything else that came out in 1981 but there's all those little things that add up right you know um it's like you know, game of inches sort of thing, right? right? And and that's and that's what it is. It's an inch here and it's an inch there. And and the the filmmaking aspect of it, where it is such a tight script, and the cast was so well done, right? And and it it was just shot so perfectly. Everything was mapped out. And you you can tell right from the beginning that this is going to be a different kind of film. Because that opening scene where you know the minor hooks the woman onto, yes. uh, I mean the the way that that's shot, you know, it's that's a sexy scene, and yet there's nothing gratuitous about it, right? So it, it doesn't sink to that level of like softcore porn that you're getting in a lot of these uh, these movies, which you know, unfortunately, this gets lumped in with a lot of the time. You look at the you know the the cars racing to the bar uh, in the very next scene, right? As 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 they're all getting off of work for the first time, and I got at the least I did 
a lot of like George Miller vibes from the way it was shot with uh, the work that okay. he did with Mad Max. You know, he knows that when you're shooting cars, one of the things you do to visually increase speed is to shoot low. And you get as close to the ground as possible so that as those cars come by, they're coming by fast and you're seeing those tires just spin. And so these are little things that he does that it's like, fuck, he really knows what he's doing. And as a, a casual viewer, I don't know why it does something to me, but I know that it makes me enjoy the movie more. Right. It's like listening to um, like a remastered version of an album that was done with very little budget, right? All of a sudden it sounds better and you don't know why it sounds better, you know? Right. But, but there is something to it. You're like, Oh, I, I prefer this version. And I don't know why, right? It's the same thing here. There's, there's the quality, although you can't necessarily put your finger on it. It's like, that's doing something for me. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that really stood out to me when it comes to the, the filmmaking here and just, I mean, boiling it all the way down the, the writing, and the dialogue all mm -hmm. felt very natural down to the fact that sometimes when it was stilted, it was stilted at the right times, mm -hmm. right? Because we get this story of TJ and Axel who were friends and were, were shown very early that, that they were close friends, but now they're in competition for the same girl. And so occasionally when they're having a conversation, you get this really weird back and forth but it works in those moments because you're now suddenly at odds with somebody that you've been friends with. And that can be, yeah, the junkyard scene. Exactly. Mm. You, you're it's a, it's a really awkward thing. So it makes sense for that conversation to be stilted because you've known somebody for so long and you've always engaged with them in a certain way. Now that that is turned completely upside down how do you view this person who was once your friend as some sort of enemy? You're, you're not familiar with how you're going to have that, those conversations. And so, uh, and then the, the characters themselves, and I know we, we've talked a little bit about this, but they were all written, not as stereotypes, but they did fill certain roles. And like I said, you only had this one really outlandish character. And honestly, was he that outlandish? Yeah. He wore like heart shaped sunglasses and he had big teeth, but Everybody knows a goofball, you know, he yeah. wasn't, he wasn't a stew level of goofball, you know, like, no. but, I mean, you know, stew was perfect for what scream was, but that guy was, he was, a, he was a perfect level of goofball, which really just kind of made him a normal guy. Cause everybody else was down here. Um, right. There was, there were some, you know, there were some fun things, some little tropey things, but that I always get excited for. I, I pop for the first person view point of view of a killer. I just always yeah. do. I always do. You know, like when we watch Slumber Party, I made sure to bring it up then. You know, you watch a Halloween movie, <laughs> which is probably where it all goes back to. Michael Myers through the mask and everything. Yeah. But it's just, it's such a little simple thing to do. But it it just, it's it it's warm and it's fuzzy. Like it feels right. It, it, it takes you, it, and it, there's a moment in the film where it takes you out of wondering who the killer is, and now you're just like, oh, I'm, I'm going to see this shit firsthand. I'm along like, for the okay. ride. Yeah. yeah. Um, so little things like that just end up being so great. Like you said, just a game of inches, but also the concept of not overusing it. They only did it the one time when he stalked Mabel in the laundromat. It did not mm -hmm. come back around because then for the rest of the movie, now we know, okay, this is a killer. 
on the loose. And now we're in the role of trying to figure out who it is. So he was smart enough to not put us in the role of killer anymore. Once the movie had progressed to the point where we were now in the role of detective. And I thought that was very smart. I thought that was a genius move. It was just, you know, it was just a little toss up to, to something that you Mm -hmm. love, but not overused. Uh, Musically, you know, score and stuff like that was all pretty standard, but the yeah. uh, the song during the credits, the the ballad of um, Harold, uh, I've forgotten his uh, name. Ha- ha- uh, Harry Warden. Harry Warden. There we go. The the ballad yeah. of Harry Warden that plays during the credits is that's a great song. Haunting. It's yeah. haunting, and it's amazingly good. Like this wasn't a I'm trained to sit through the credits. I'm gonna sit here. This wasn't a I need a hard reset, a la Hereditary. This yeah. was. Man, I just want to hear this song. Like I want, and, like and, it's, it's so. It was, it was so. Like it was, it was, it was Bob Dylan, and and it was Neil Young, and I mean, it was just this great folk song. And I'm not a folk guy, but man, like mm-hmm. in that moment, it was such a perfect song. It was just, I, it was, it was a beautiful, beautiful end to a movie that ended on a really weird. So back when we did Sleepaway Camp, we talked about <laughs> this final shot of the the frozen face screaming screen goes green so what they did with my bloody valentine was they go like one step further and it's like okay here's the killer everybody's got him trapped we're gonna have him run away while like wailing and laughing incessantly as an insane person drop the name of the movie and then roll the credits i was like i mean i just that that ending was so good and that was it was the perfect culmination of everything that this movie had done so well in just this one little scene, especially because he did it after a mine shaft was dropped on him. Yeah. Like, he gets a mine shaft dropped on him. Then a group of the people from the town are excited he's alive, maybe so they could kill him, maybe just so they could figure out, you know, who it was. And then just to laugh maniacally and run away into the darkness of, of an abandoned mine. And- and Genius. saying that you and Harry Warden, who we know is dead, yeah, are gonna come back. I mean, yeah. that's that's haunting, you know. And and I think that that's what that song really does best is that it is a great way to leave the uh, a lasting impression. Yeah, yeah. No, Harry, Harry. If, if the last thing you're hearing about when the credits roll is Harry Warden, then yeah, you're you're gonna think about him. And and you you sit there and you listen to the song, and it's like, man. But it was just, it was also that that writing and, and directorial decision also gave you a lot of insight to the depths of Axel's psychosis. Because, you mm-hmm. know, Axel was presented as just an, a, a normal guy who was protective of his girl and, and some things like that until it's revealed that he's the killer. And then you get this one little brief flashback, which also, kudos, I, you know, I do remember that scene when he killed that guy earlier in the movie. You know, they did eventually spoon feed it to me and go, he was the supervisor's son. But in that moment, it was done very, very well. And so we get that and it's like, okay, that's why he's crazy. That still doesn't seem like murder a bunch of people 20 years crazy. And then it's like, oh, no, that, that, the the running into an abandoned mine shaft laughing, that seems like kill a bunch of people 20 years later crazy. So, yeah, I'm here. (laughs) <laughs> and, and, and then you get hit with the song yeah it's just uh it was like it's, that's, it's, it's a that's perfect ending man 
Yeah, it's, it's it the, really was great. And you, you, you know what's interesting? Because you, you, you called it the last act. And it is the last act of the movie. But the last act of the movie is half the fucking movie. Yeah, true enough. That's a, that, that's, that's a tense 45 minutes that we're getting. Yes, and it, it it really never lets up. Like that build up up to them having the party, it at at the mine is really great. But once they get to the party, that's where basically like you're you're on the edge of your seat the whole time, and yet it's 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 really not um like a, a jump out and scare you movie. This isn't a movie with an awful lot of action. You know, it's uh, it's a lot of talking. Yeah, a this lot. movie's a lot. It's a lot of talking. It's a lot of story, and and yet it's all tension. It's all tension, yeah. and it, it's um, it, it, the payoff is fantastic. It There's really the, uh, when when you were talking about the 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 ballad of Harry Warden, it reinded me of. There's another movie called Madman. I don't know if you've ever seen, seen this one. one. Um, like the Burning. It is based on uh, the legend of Cropsy, okay, in uh, in New York, and uh, it's it's one of those where it it opens and closes with this like urban legend, you know, sort of ballad about the madman of of the woods, and it's uh, it's, it's you don't see that very often. Uh, it was something that was done a lot back in like the 40s and the 50s particularly with westerns you'd hear you know you'd watch a lot of westerns and and they'd have you know the you know whoever the big western star that year was uh and and he'd you know sing a ballad you know for you know for that movie and it would be the title of the movie would be in there you know where the 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 town's sheriff would be in in the name of the song um and and somehow it's it's really effective and it's not as cheesy as you might think it is yeah, it, it 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 worked, man. So as as we look at this movie, what we have is we've got a killer, a town with a dark past, bunch bunch of kids, kids, young adults <laughs> throwing a party. We've got all the elements here of an 80s slasher. And as we're looking at 80s slasher, we know where we've got to go and we've got to talk boobs and blood. Absolutely. So I mean <laughs> boobs and blood, uh, man. You know, boobs, there's almost nothing. Uh, in, in fact, the most you get is, um, I think a poster in the background. Um, I've, I've, I've seen this movie enough to, to, to know that, um, (laughs) (laughs) um, yeah, there's, uh, there's like some playboy pinups in, uh, in Hap's bar and, uh, and and I think in, in the locker of, of the mine, that's it. Uh, none of the women get undressed. Um, the, the closest thing you get is, is a bra. And um, uh, I think you see more of the the guys in the shower, <laughs> which you don't see much than right. you do of of, uh, of any of the women. And, and they're all gorgeous. Yes. All the women are gorgeous. Um, these guys are reaching and they are reaching far. Um, but um, I mean, there's I I kind of like that in a slasher where it's. Um, it's kind of restrained there where I think a, a lot of times the, the sex is gratuitous. And, and I think this is one of those movies where, you know, like we were talking about before where it's kind of using tropes because the tropes are not yet standard, but they kind of know what's going to work. And yet it's creating tropes as well. And it's kind of bucking trends at the same time. And this is one of those that I think it kind of put away 
and it worked in its it, 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 in its favor. Um, the one area where I think that this movie suffers, and it's not the fault of the movie, but of the 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 ratings association, is in the kills. Yes, because we we get such a sissified version of the kills. Yes. Uh, like it, it, they they are just totally edited. Um, we we see just before the kill, we see after the kill. And I have never, unfortunately, seen the director's cut, which adds in three whole minutes. Oh, look at now. that's a that's a lot. You know, I mentioned Commando earlier. There's a director's cut of Commando that adds thirty seconds. 40 <laughs> seconds, and those thirty or forty seconds makes a big difference. Uh, I mean, there's a whole scene that's cut out, and and there's there's a whole lot of blood and bullets that gets cut out with that with those forty seconds. You know. Um, I can't even begin to imagine how much better this movie is with three whole minutes of of blood and gore. Especially because it would yeah, it would only take ten to fifteen seconds to show us more of the aftermath or during of some of these kills, which would have ramped everything up. Yeah, so um, I I do think that this is one of those areas where. Um, where the movie actually does suffer. Um, and, and I think that what we have is not bad. Um, it's, it's certainly not bad. And there's plenty of blood to go around. Um, you know, uh, I mean, Mabel dies in, in an absolutely gruesome way, even though we don't get to see it. But the aftermath of that, um, you know, and, and that's a really great tense scene where uh, where the sheriff is walking up and down and looking at um, at, at, at all the different washers and dryers. And, and, and there's you just can, the sound of the one dryer going. Just, just thump, And that's the thump, only thump, sound. Yes. Thump. And if you look closely, I mean, when you've seen the movie enough times, you start to pick up on, on these things, right? Um, when uh, when you look closely, the dryer that she's in, the, the glass is smeared yes. in blood. So, uh, so it's one of those things where maybe not the first time or even the second time you watch it, you notice it, but after a while you're like, oh, that's the one that's where she is, you know? <laughs> and, and so like, and I can only imagine how brutal that scene was because it's not just that, you know, her skin has been turned to beef jerky. Right. But it's also that like, she's been completely played. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it totally eviscerated. And, uh, you know, there's there's other kills like you mentioned the the hot dogs, the boiling hot dogs. You know, that's one where we got a very similar kill in Sleepaway Camp with yes. uh, with, with with the pot of boiling water where he was, you know, shucking the corn. The eight foot and, tall pot of water. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I think, you know, had we gotten something like that, because we see the aftermath of that when he's uh, what was it, Dave? Right. When he's when yeah. he's in the in the refrigerator. Right. That's a that's a really awesome effect on his face. You know, the the prosthetic is great. And that's the thing is that these effects seem to be like almost on a Tom Savini level good, right? Uh, they didn't get Savini, probably couldn't afford Savini, but but it's it, it's almost on that level. And unfortunately, we didn't get that, you know, uh, because because the the movie was just butchered. And um, I mean, I I've heard and read that if you do see the director's cut, 
it's uh it's almost like a completely different movie that it's it's so much bloodier so much gorier it really does earn its name of my bloody valentine yeah i mean you you absolutely took like exactly what i was gonna say and that is what back when we did the Candyman remake recently mm-hmm. we we brought up this idea of you know especially with with the newer movies it's far more expected because we know what you can get away with um right. when you're making a movie but yeah it's like so many of the kills were just teased what could have mm-hmm. been really great gruesome scenes without being absurd we were just we were taken right to the edge. The one that sticks out for me is the shower kill. Absolutely. I I'd, look, even if you're not going to show me him picking her up and impaling her head on the shower head, which, you know, let's face it, that 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 you know, that's probably a very difficult effect, especially in 1981. Yeah. There was a moment there where they obviously had some sort of model of it because we get this profile mm-hmm. of the water shooting out of her mouth. And yeah. I wanted to see it. I wanted to see the head stuck on the shower head with the water shooting out of her mouth. And they didn't give it to it's, me. It's such a creative kill. It is. It's so good. And honest, like I, I the only back at the top, I said it did have some misses and we'll get to them. And it was when we were going to get to this point. And man, it's just like there's, you know, like I, I'll, you know, they, when when he impales the woman on the pickaxe at the beginning, we do kind of see it come through. They didn't get crazy with it, with the blood spurting or anything. Probably could have used a little bit more, but they do show it. But like when the guy, by the way, my the, the shower kill. Awesome. Could have been visually amazing but there's something that's taken away from it by the fact that we don't get the visuals of during or after there is a kill that we see very little of that I thought was insanely creative. And it's when um, the guy from the bar is trying to set up the prank with the dummy. So where, when they open the door, it swings the pickaxe and he's, he's so enamored with his idea that he has to keep going back and checking on it so he can laugh about it. And then of course he goes back one too many times and he opens the door and the actual miners there. And with the same motion that he set the dummy up to do with the pickaxe coming up, swings up and guts the guy. That was the one where I was like, I'm totally okay with not seeing this whole thing because the shock and comedic effect of this kill were so creative and so perfectly placed. That was one where I think that they, they absolutely hit all the marks. But on so many of the others, you're right. They could like, I, yes, just seeing the aftermath of, of Mabel being ripped open when they pulled the Valentine out of her chest, mm-hmm. we did get yeah. some of the gore there, but yeah, it, I, I, I want to know, did, you know, it's like, I, I don't need to see him ripping her open, but it would have been nice to just get that one good pull the and, and a, yeah. yeah, just, you know, something more out of that than just seeing that he got her and then finding her in the dryer. That is my only knock on this movie. And, and I, you know, if, if it was a ratings thing for 81, you know, that, that makes sense. Um, But I just, I, I, you know, and like you said, I wasn't even disappointed at the the lack of boobs. It starts off and it makes you think it, it makes you think, Hey, here come mm-hmm. the boobs, you know, we're, you're in for it. And then they, and then they stop it and you're like, okay, but it was, it was really cool the way they did it. But I never found myself like they I never found myself feeling like I was cheated 
out of seeing someone naked. That probably right. sounded right. horribly misogynistic, but you know what I mean. It's <laughs> well, I know, mean, it's an 80s slasher. You're yeah. you come to expect it. You know, and like when we discussed Scream, we talked about how they purposefully cheated us out of seeing Nev Campbell right. topless, you know, and that was the joke. I never felt like they even got me to that point where I expected to see someone naked after that first scene. And I was okay well, with that. Would was, I have it been well established? Yeah. Would you know, I have because been, he, he he goes he goes to you know feel her up and he sees the heart tattoo and he decides, no, I'm not here for the sex. I'm here to yeah, murder you. That's you right. know, and, and 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 what we were teased with was the kills because then you know that's when he murders her but we don't we don't actually get to see most of these yeah would i have been okay with seeing cynthia dale naked absolutely oh man what a smoke <laughs> and she she is still gorgeous yes yes uh yes so you know um oh and all the the scene where um the goofy guy like falls down with the rope around his head and then the weight of his own body decapitates him oh beautifully done yeah, that, that is that was that, that is was one really where they better. gave us every bit of it. And while it's awesome, it does also make you go, God, if they knew what they were doing so well, why didn't I get to see some of these others a little bit more? Yeah. And so that yeah, that is honestly my only knock on it is I just I, I wanted, like I said, yeah, three minutes. Three minutes might be the perfect amount of more film to where it didn't get over the top. But, you know, a little bit of that slasher bloodlust that I get, you know, when I'm watching a movie is more sad. Uh, then I'm going to watch one of these movies a little more satisfied. Yeah. Uh, we actually have a oh, Andy here. Andy. Nice. Glad you're joining us. Says uh, Andy Chacon, a friend of the podcast, um, says, I've always liked this movie, but I think it doesn't know what it wants to be. It's a slasher. There's a shitload of drama. It's just not straightforward to me, but I still love it. And um, you know what? I don't think you're necessarily wrong. Well, we, we were talking um, a little earlier about how it's very much a like a murder mystery. Um, and then there there is that drama between Axel and TJ, you know, that uh, that sort of love triangle uh, between them. And um, is it Lori? Um, uh, yeah. The blonde um, one. <laughs> uh, yeah, Sarah. Sarah. Lori's the name go. of the actress. <laughs> Sorry about that. Close enough. Yeah, yeah close, close enough for oh, yeah, yeah. Lori Haller is Sarah Marshall. There it is. Yeah. So this leaves us with our rating system. Um now we never solidified this. Are it's you, because you... it's I didn't feel the need to. There's there's only there's only one choice. Like I saw you wrote it, and it's what I was gonna suggest. It's it's the only choice for this movie. It's yeah. it's so iconic. They put it on your figure. Yeah, exactly. Um, so then Daniel out of a possible five human heart filled chocolate boxes, how many human heart filled chocolate boxes do you give this? So for all of the reasons that we've discussed, I loved this movie. I loved it. There was, it satisfied the, 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 the 80s the 80s horror movie fan in me it satisfied the need for um a scary movie to do more than just be a straightforward scary movie mm -hmm. uh the the writing the 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 cinematography all of that stuff was very very well done uh i i'm going to knock it one one spot 
um, one, one, one candy box, uh, because I, I wanted, I wanted a little bit more gore. I wanted to see, I wanted to see some of these kills come to fruition. Um, I'm willing to let it, I'm, I'm, I'm okay with it, but I think that what keeps it from reaching the apex of what it could be is that lack of gore. Um, you know, I, and so I'm going to go with this sits at a solid four, um, human heart filled candy boxes because I think it's a, I do think it's a very, very good movie. I, this is, you know, we always use that. This is one I would, I would recommend to anybody, you know, you can recommend this one to a group of friends who want to sit around and, and have a good time watching one, especially if it's a group that's never seen it and everybody can be guessing who it is. You can recommend it to, um, to a horror fan, uh, who's who's maybe just never seen it? So yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna sit solidly at four. Um, I if if uh, Andy Chacon here would give it four and a quarter. If we did quarters, I would bump it up to that two five, just as kind of like an R.I.P. to uh, to T.J. Um, the the actor who uh, Paul Kellerman uh, did just pass away, I believe, just last week. It was like the week last oh, week or the week he? before. Paul Kellerman just passed away. Um, and so, uh, but yeah, so I'm gonna let it sit solidly at four. Uh, well, it's actually going to get a total of four and a quarter human heart filled candy boxes, uh, chocolate boxes, because I'm going to give it four and a half. Uh, and for the same exact reasons that you are, um, I don't think that knocking off a whole human heart filled chocolate box is uh, is fair for for just one point, even though it's a it's a big point of contention. Um, however, I think so much about this movie works. And um, when I first saw this, I had no idea that there was a director's cut. Uh, in fact, I don't think the the director's cut was uh, was available uh, unless it was like screened somewhere. Um, so for me, the movie was uh, the, the edited watered down version that, that we have. And I was more than okay with that. I thought that it was spectacular. Um, it is definitely on my mountain of, if, if we're going Mount Geekmore, right. It's it's on my mountain of slasher movies, uh, right up there with, uh, with the prowler, you know? Uh, so I, I think that there's there's something really special about this movie. And if we were talking about the director's cut, maybe this might be different. This might be a five. It might be perfect otherwise. And that's why I think I'm not going to go a whole human heart filled chocolate box off because if so much else about this movie, if literally everything else about this movie works for me, I don't know that knocking off a whole human heart filled chocolate box. Fair enough. So there, yeah. So there you go. Way to shoot the median order. Yeah, look at that. <laughs> <laughs> hey, let, let me know who you think is gonna win the Super Bowl so I can put some money <laughs> yeah, down. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> let me know what the over-under is. Uh so um, so there you go. Four and a quarter human heart-filled chocolate boxes for the original 1981 My Bloody Valentine. And, and um yeah. As, go, as, go ahead, go as, ahead. as 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 February continues, um, we are going to continue our month of love, but we're going to take a step back from romance next week. Next week, we're going to explore a 
a paternal, uh, a, a, a paternal love. Uh, it's more the love of a daughter for her father. I just don't know the word for that. Um, but we're going to, we're going to explore the idea of loving a family member so much that you would do anything to talk to them one more time. As we watch the film, uh, I, let me, I'm going to try this. I'm going to try it. Veronica. Yeah. There you hey. go. Nice. nice. Here's you know a high what? school I'm, Spanish. On, on Monday, you, you you said you said my name correctly. Mine and my uh, my sister, you you said it uh, perfectly. So uh, hey, there we go. So yeah. it's a, it's a Netflix one. If you're watching now and you want to get a chance, this one popped up on our radar because I ran across an article that said back when this was released in 2016 or 2017, Netflix released a graphic that said only 17 percent of people who started it finished it. Um, and so of course they immediately attributed that to it being so scary, but let's also face it. You know, a lot of people just turn stuff on and go to sleep or have sex. So, um, but it, so it is supposed to be very scary. It's going to fit into our month of love. So next week, tune in Wednesday at nine, eight central. We're going to be doing Veronica. And, and I, I believe, uh, our, our friend here, uh, Andy Chacon will be joining us, Excellent. uh, uh, you know, barring any, uh, any any sort of weird circumstances so so that'll be exciting to have andy back on the show uh and he just gave us the thumbs up so that's fantastic um so it's it's, it's always good to have our friends on here uh speaking of our friends we've got lots of friends on other podcasts in the geek bro network as we are one of the geek bro podcast make sure you catch mount geek more with uh, daniel and myself on live on mondays uh not sure when the episodes drop but i just kind of get the notification on my phone as right. you can if you can uh if you subscribe uh, make sure you follow What's Up Bro, uh, the other half of where our namesake uh, comes from. Uh, we've got Comedy Fitness. We've got Better Let Me Tell You. We've got Seasons, a TV podcast. We've got Kickflicks. Kick we've got Crimacopia and a Dose of Ellie. And I think that might be all of them. I I do I do believe you nailed them all. Um, so make sure you check out all those. If you head to geekbro.net, you can find all of those podcasts in one place. If you're looking for us specifically, we are at ShiverPod on all of your social medias. We uh, we've been doing better about releasing what the movie reminding everybody what the movie is going to be on Monday <laughs> or Tuesday. So you've got a day to watch it, really soak it in, and uh, join us as we talk about it. And we are, we're, we, we've actually, we've kind of planned out through March already. So we've got a good idea yeah. here. Um, at beginning of March, I'll drop the calendar for that. Like we did for um, February. So make sure you follow us at ShiverPod on all that. And also don't forget if you listen to us, whatever you listen to us on, if there's a rating system, please drop us that four or five star rating. Let us know what you think. It's going to move us up in that algorithm. We'd love to have more people listening. Absolutely. Uh, so on behalf of all of us here on Shiver, a horror movie podcast, fright you very much.